Leanna. And I'm Nikki. And today's episode is called Understanding Hypnotherapy. And so we're just going to explain what hypnotherapy is about, how we approach it. Um, But just a little disclaimer from the start, this is such a broad topic. I mean, it's a whole modality. It's a whole uh, way of uh, approach of doing things. So we're not going to cover (laughs) every single aspect, but the common things that we see um, so that perhaps you can understand what hypnotherapy is. Maybe you've been curious about it and um, just understand it a little better. So Usually when we see a client one-on-one, I'd say more than usually every time we start off with a consultation and that consultation is, is kind of a two, two purpose thing. One is to explain hypnotherapy as well. Um, It can be a new idea for a lot of people, or perhaps what they know of it is um, what we would call stage hypnosis, which really isn't related at all. And we can get into that. Um, So just kind of clearing up what hypnotherapy is. Um, And then also discussing what the client would like to change, why they're visiting us, and what might be involved in that change, what might be contributing to the issue in the first place. So there's um, a little bit of exploration there to start. So is there... Can I jump in on that consultation? I see that very much as a two-way interview too. where it's also a client's chance to, it's going to be an intimate relationship to make sure that they want to work with me or that they feel they can trust me or open up to me. And my chance, and this will probably come back around to this, um, is to be sure that the client does understand hypnotherapy and how it might work reflecting or looking at some things that they didn't realize were related or they didn't realize we're having such a big impact on their life. Mm. It's important for me to really relay what hypnotherapy does so that client doesn't feel surprised down the road either. Mm. That's a, that's a really good point. So how do you, where do you like to go first? Um, honestly, I often let the client just start talking. Um, yeah. And, and I think there's also, um, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of an unnatural environment to come in and bear your soul to a stranger Yes, that you don't really know yet. Um, and yet there's a necessary component of that. And you are coming to work on something, change something or heal something. Um, it's not necessarily, um, comfortable or natural. Yeah. And I think by, or my experiences, they're, they're ready. They've prepped themselves. They're a little bit anxious and they have something that they really want to convey and just letting them quickly do that. Like just get it out there. Now that little bit is over and we can Mm -hmm. then like backtrack or get more information or expand on what they've said or explain hypnosis. We can get to all of that. I just try to let those first few moments be make themselves feel more comfortable. Mm. Um, often okay. when somebody comes and we, and we talk about what's troubling them or what they want to change. Um, I'll often hear I'm so broken. I'm really messed up. I bet you haven't seen that before. 
And what I love about hypnosis and hypnotherapy is once you understand potentially what the mind is doing and why it's doing it, it's not broken or messy at all. And actually there are a lot of common themes. So there's absolutely unique experiences, unique histories that contribute to those experiences, but there are common themes and messages that people get out of that. And so, um, and there's common trauma. I, I think too, I just appreciate how much I like, I look around in the world and I think some people carry themselves through the world just thinking we, we look at our own spheres, right? Mm-hmm. So possibly you don't put yourself in other people's shoes so often. Um, but I think if people did, they would realize that, wow, people carry a lot, have been through a lot, um, are always, I believe, trying their best. And when you see people like that, it, it doesn't compute as messed up. It, mm-hmm. it certainly doesn't compute as broken. It's, um, it's not even a misfire. It's the brain doing exactly what it's supposed to. It's just not in a way that works so well for you. It's not, right. it's not the way you want, or it's just not supporting your well-being, or it's getting in the way in some way. But the intention and the trying that the mind is doing is um, really clever. Uh, that's the word that you use that I love. And um, it means it's working well. Mm-hmm. It just kind of needs to be redirected. Yes. Yes. And I find someone comes in and they're just noticing that intimate relationships or on, like honest, open, vulnerable relationships are really hard for them. That's what they're trying to understand or bring into their life. And so they're noticing that I just, I don't, I don't talk to people. I don't share myself with people. I don't. And we're often, I think, hardest on ourselves. Yes. And then you kind of hear the judgment and why can't I do that? And if I can say it and know I can do it, then why do I get in these situations and actually not do it? And that as there's often, not often, there's always a reason. So when you learn that relationships might be unsafe or that when you're vulnerable, people will make fun of you or bully you. You don't have a good reason to be vulnerable or intimate with people. And, and I think I I really try to start there by saying, okay, let's just kind of say thank you to our mind and our subconscious that has kept us safe. It's not how we want to behave anymore. Right. Yeah. So it's important that you still want change. You want to update that wisdom and knowledge and power and use it differently, but you don't have to be down on what has happened up until now. Mm, I love that. Yeah, because often blame becomes a part of it. And um, what you were saying earlier, those types of things like um, I'm back in this situation, so I don't know what I'm doing. Um, This is never going to change for me. Um, it must be a problem with me. I'm the common factor in all this. So Mm -hmm. I'm broken. There's a lot of blame that -hmm. people give themselves. Um, and what I love to show them is that 
that's not true in that way. Yes, your mind is a player in in this scenario, but that's not a blame thing. That's not a um, doing things incorrectly. Like I said, it's more of a redirection. And and as you so greatly pointed out, like I I love that point is like it's done that up until now. Now we get a chance to do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to a workshop on childhood anxiety and it was for professionals, teachers, um, as well as parents. And what I loved there was you could tell there was a lot of people who were, Ooh, I've done that, you know, thing with my child. I've yelled at my child. I've, I haven't done this or I've done that and feeling the guilt and shame about it. And the idea that that presenter had was, okay, well that was yesterday. Today, we're going to try something new. And if you make a mistake again, then tomorrow you'll retry again. Um, It's not a kind of all or nothing um, situation or sentence that our minds tend to put ourselves in. And I mean, there's factors there too. That could be your mind perpetuating just a cycle that it knows. Absolutely. Yeah. It's familiar, comfortable. Yeah. So if I... If I use this critical voice and put, put myself down, then I'm going to try this method I've tried before again and, and repeat the cycle. And it keeps me here with at least, you know, that idea of the devil that I know. I don't like it, but at least it's not the unknown. I don't have to try something new. I don't have to be vulnerable and put myself out there. So I don't like this. It isn't working for me, but um, we're going to keep trying it one more time. Yeah. Um, that's a very common mind pattern. So I wonder if it would be useful to like, um, it's hard to discuss this topic in a linear way, right? It's got so many, um, so many aspects to it. But um, let's go to the idea of, of just how the mind works. We touched on it a bit in our introductory episode, but a little bit more about the mind and those messages, and then what hypnosis is really doing. So um, we could be, we could have an event at any age um, that's impactful to us. We could even grow up in an environment that's impactful Mm -hmm. to us without it being directly like this is related to this. And this was said, just being in an environment where let's even say the parents work so hard and came home and argued and didn't have time for the children. And what message does that send to the child? And then how does that translate into behaviors or preferences when they're older and when they're an adult? Um, Maybe they're always playful and can't focus because focus meant sadness. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what I'm trying to say with that, that that's just a, a kind of abstract example, but that we're taking in messages all the time. We take in messages from our environment, from our interactions, from our own assumptions about a situation. So we're constantly taking in messages and we have two parts to the mind. We have our conscious mind and our subconscious mind. And our subconscious mind is our long-term memory. It's where our creativity and emotions um, flow out of, Um, but it's illogical. So it's storing all those messages and 
sometimes we act on them. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes they pop up in a, in the future, in a situation that reminds us of something. And so our conscious mind, uh, has our willpower, has our short-term memory and is logical. And there's a filter between the two layers as well. So messages come through the conscious mind, get deposited into the subconscious mind. That filter, um, what would you say, like eight or nine years old is when it it's forming? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm not exactly sure of the age, but we know that like before four, it's not even there. Right. There is no filter at all. And then it builds over time. You don't, yeah. Yeah, it's not like a light switch. No, that's right. Yeah. And so that filter allows us to have a little bit more of that critical thinking, whether we're going to kind of accept or believe that message. But some messages are sneaky and they just come right in. Our filter is even more open. And that happens when we're stressed, when we're experiencing emotions, like strong emotions, when we're tired. When we're receiving uh, a message from somebody we consider to be an authority figure. And so when you're a teenager, that can be your peers. Um, when you're an adult, that could be your doctor. Um, anybody. Your parents, parents. I think even though some of us, you know, we have a logic that we don't want to be like our parents or um, we think we are filtering what parents say, but we've learned from the time we were a baby that these are the adults that are influential that are responsible for our safety and feeding us and keeping us alive so it's pretty hard to actually put a parent um in any other role but influential right and it's hard to to cherry pick information you're going to yeah. take from them like okay I'm going to believe them when it comes to getting my first credit card or moving out, but I'm not going to believe them when it comes to body image. Right. It, it, yeah. you know, they're, um, they're key people. Yeah. In your life. I, I think it's worth saying too, that that subconscious mind really its primary job is to keep us safe. Yeah. So in, in it being illogical, it's so emotionally driven. It only care, are we safe or are we not? And if we're not, I need to do something. And so can you expand on too, like um, when, when we're talking about safety, we're not necessarily talking about physical danger, like being chased from a bear. Right. No, <laughs> in fact, we're often not. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. almost exactly what we're not talking about. We're kind of talking yeah. about emotional safety, stability, and that's what it's trying to maintain. It's trying to maintain comfort. It's trying to maintain. Um, yeah. Am I getting seen here? Am I getting valued? Are my needs being met? Is this someone I can trust and be vulnerable with? Um, yeah. And I think that's where we develop patterns um, that we do later on in life want to change because the safety is not physical safety. It's not, am I out in the woods running from a cougar? Although it's the same system that gets activated. Right. You know, in that instance, yes, you want to act, you want to act quickly. Uh, you want to have a physical reaction where your body gets ready to run or fight. Sometimes we freeze. Um, but that same system and all of those same reactions 
get activated when it's a bully on the playground who just embarrassed you in front of all of your friends. Right. So let's expand on that example. Say you were bullied on the playground um, and you can pick any reason. And, and what we, we know is that usually when somebody bullies, and again, more than usually it's about them. It's, it's not about the person they're bullying. It's, it's to have more power. It's so that they don't become bullied by the other people. It's what they see in the home. Like there's, there's other reasons that we may not even ever understand, but because it's happening to us, we believe that we caused it is is a common belief. Mm -hmm. So if somebody is being bullied, um, perhaps because of the clothes they wear, Mm -hmm. um, then let's say they get through that school experience. Uh, maybe somehow, maybe they get to high school. There's more people. They blend in better. Um, they find their group of friends. They're maybe not so bullied so much anymore. Maybe even perhaps there was a change of school along the way. Um, but now as an adult, now all of a sudden here's a person and we don't know their background Um, You're just meeting them and they show up and it's a colleague at work and they're always super well-dressed and you're kind of thinking, oh, you know, that's their preference. That's what they spend their paycheck on. That's what they, but to that person, maybe it's so dire, so important that they look clean, crisp, um, well-kept. In the latest fashion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you wouldn't know that that is uh, uh, playing out of what happened to them as a child. So how does the mind protect in that way? Well, it gets the idea, I was bullied because of my clothing. So now I'm going to protect you by being hyper-focused on clothing, how you appear, Um, blending in, not putting your hand up at meetings, not standing out in any way, being a wallflower, having social anxiety. So while all of those things may feel uncomfortable, the person may be frustrated with them. It's not how they want, it's not where they want their focus or energy. It's the mind doing its best to protect that person from experiencing that pain again. Hmm. And so if you just look at it that way without the emotional investment, that is a really noble and clever mechanism of the mind. It's just not so useful. It's not what the person wants. And that's why they would want a change. And, right. and so maybe they try to make a change on their own. Uh, maybe they try not to care so much about, about what they wear. Maybe they don't do the laundry or, or something. Yeah. I'm not sure how that would look. And so then perhaps... They get noticed for that. Oh, so-and-so, you're not so snazzy today. And then what's the message? Oh, it didn't work. I got noticed. And I'm unsafe. Here I am unsafe again. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think it's also worth noting and looping back around that it is the conscious mind that holds the willpower. And I think it's also worth noting too that the conscious mind is a much smaller portion of the mind. So it's about five to 10%, whereas the subconscious is 90 to 95%. So that logic and willpower in the conscious mind, that's the part where you kind of know better, where you're like, I know these clothes aren't important. 
I know when they're noticing me, they're not mad at me or picking on me or targeting me. They're just noticing. Right. Um, but that subconscious being just a, a bigger mass of the mind, um, it's messaging tends to be the overpowering one. And so that's where we can struggle back and forth with, I know better. I know this is no big deal. I know that's not what they're really thinking. I know they kind of don't even care about my clothes. I know all of this. Yeah. Or I know this isn't good for me. I know my credit card shouldn't be maxed out. And I could have worn that outfit to the Christmas party two years in a row. And exactly. Yeah. And that's where we would say those same messages that you know consciously is what we want the subconscious mind to know. We want to update its messaging so it can resolve or address that bullying of the past and move on in a way that works for you. So that's a good, I think, place to sort of talk about. We're going to stick with that example. In in hypnotherapy, you would, um, you know, likely literally recall that moment on the playground and what that person said to you and how you felt and possibly the people around you, whatever their reaction was, laughing, not laughing. Um, you can do all kinds of creative things. Um, and the people around you, their reaction has, has an impact too. If all of your friends, uh, you know, uh, started to, to defend you to the bully, that has one outcome. If all of your friends laughed and now you thought they don't like your shirt either, that has a different outcome. But you can take that in hypnosis and sort of replay it like a movie. What would have been a better outcome? Or what would you like to say now as a grown up, having all this life experience to that bully? Or we can't change that that happened. What did you need in the moment? Like in the moment you had to fend for yourself and you couldn't find the teacher that was on duty in that recess um, and cried for the rest of recess or, you know, whatever it was you did. But now as an adult, can you walk through that scenario um, imagining what would have been helpful for you? Right. And I think what's also um, important to note is um, when we say revisiting that or going back to that moment, um, there are, it, it might be an uncomfortable memory. Um, we never aim to have somebody start to finish relive the trauma of that as it was. When we go back and visit uh, an event, a memory, um, that is uncomfortable, that, that has some vulnerability in it. Um, we try to empower the client, give them safe um, distance from the event. So even reimagining that event, recalling it, but recalling it like you're um, directing a nature show, like National Geographic. Right. Look at how those kids are um, picking on that kid. I wonder what's going on for that kid. Does it matter? But is it really about the child that they're picking on? Um, so bringing that kind of wisdom and awareness and different way of looking at the situation, providing a different ending, like you said, um, to the subconscious mind. So like we said, the subconscious mind is home to creativity and emotion, but that's also imagination. So mm -hmm. imagination is a big tool. Um, 
that's also why just as a little sidebar, positive, um, imaginings, like if you're going to take a test or if you're a golfer and you're imagining your golf swing. So that's why a lot of athletes do visualizations. Um, and you'll hear people, you know, big CEOs, people that, you know, uh, people say, oh, they're so successful and everything, you know, what's a key and they imagine outcomes going the way that they want. Mm -hmm. And that's an actual mind technique, because Mm -hmm. once the subconscious imagines something as well, it doesn't matter if it actually happened or not, or if it's actually in the future or not, imagining it is real to the subconscious. It can understand those emotions that go with it, it can understand. So if you reimagine that outcome that you were with the bullying, that you were able to go find a teacher or you were able to walk away and leave that bully to whatever he or she is going through, the mind takes that as real. That mind makes the connections of what that experience means and represents. So um, there's ways that we introduce somebody to those scenarios um, that are uh, more comfortable, even there, even though there can be a level of discomfort with that, um, that, that lead to more empowering, um, positive outcomes. Um, so I know sometimes it can, it, it can seem a little uh, like, I don't want to go there. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great distinction that to reflect on something or revisit it is not the same as reliving it. Right. Yeah. Yes. You said it much more succinctly than I did. You helped me only because you, you got me there. (laughs) Yes. That's a very important distinction. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so we can do all of this. The reason why we can talk to the subconscious mind, the reason why we can reshape um, that experience and the emotional attachment and the messages is because in hypnosis, um, the mind waves, the brain waves are relaxed and the mind slips into that subconscious state. And so we're able to have that conversation with somebody, do those imaginings, and that's the part of the mind that we're talking to. So what people may not know is that we actually go into hypnotic states all the time, daily. So we're not doing anything... Uh, that your mind doesn't already do during the day. This isn't um, kind of some crazy out there technique. It's harnessing where the mind goes. So uh, one common experience for people is that if you're driving and you get to your destination and you forget the detail, like you forget driving there. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that I've followed the car in front of me before through a light and then gone, was that green? You know? And of course, if it was red, you would have recognized that you would have stopped. Um, But you kind of go on autopilot. Um, Other places that we kind of recognize that is if you get really immersed in a good book and you're, you're kind of in the story or you're invested in the story. Well, you stop feeling the couch underneath you. You stop listening to the birds outside. You stop being aware of your environment because you're in the story. That is a natural trance state. And that is the same state that we relax the mind to for hypnosis. They're one in the same. Yeah. And it's not, um, 
power differential in that relationship. Like as a hypnotherapist, I am not putting someone under hypnosis or controlling their mind or yeah, it's nothing that I really have control over. I am helping the client relax, feel comfortable the same way a soothing piece of music would. Mm -hmm. And the client remains in control and aware. So where people maybe get a little bit nervous about that, or the idea is, is if they've seen maybe a, a stage show and that idea that people are clucking like chickens or simulating sex acts or, you know, really outlandish things. And so it seems like, whoa, that hypnotist was able to get that person to do something crazy that they didn't want to do. And so what we would say to that is actually when people volunteer, they're the type of people, I mean, they're at the show, they've bought the ticket, they know what it's about, they make eye contact with the hypnotist, they're open to going up there, they're probably open to being a bit on display, perhaps they're a bit exhibitionist. This is at least in their area that they're open to or comfortable for. And for the hypnotist part, they are looking for that same type of person, that same person who wants to put on a good show, who's willing to go along. If somebody's sitting at a table or in a theater in a seat and they're looking down and covering their eyes (laughs) and please, oh God, don't pick me. The hypnotist is not picking them. Right. (laughs) They're going to have a very bad show. Right. (laughs) So there's a willingness there on both parts. And what I would say in hypnotherapy to tag on to what you were saying is that we can't control somebody's mind. We can't make them do something that they wouldn't normally do. So if you don't want to talk about a particular topic, if you don't want to participate in some way, you're not going to, and we can't make you. In fact, you can lie in hypnosis if you want. If we say recall a memory and you want to lie about that memory, that's completely up to you. Um, And so what example that I use is that, um, let's go back to this idea of driving and being in that natural trance state and kind of zoning out. If I was driving along with you, Nikki, and you were driving and we're just kind of listening to the music and zoning out. And then I went into your purse and got your bank card. And then I said, Nikki, give me your pin. You're not going to just start spouting off the numbers. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to snap out of it, out of the kind of zoning out. Yeah. And you're going to say, what do you want my card for? And don't go through my purse. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, And that's the same in hypnosis. If we were ever to say something that just doesn't line up for somebody, um, doesn't work, the mind rejects it. Yeah. We can't make you go against your core values. We can't make you go against your, your personality and what you're already willing to do. And in fact, we don't want to, we want to help you reach your goal. So we have no interest in, in making it uncomfortable, uh, putting pressure on. (laughs) Right. 
anything like that, because we want to help you get where you want to go. So um, that can be an apprehension that that people have sometimes. Um, but absolutely, you're not going to take in a suggestion that doesn't work for you or that perhaps you don't believe in. There's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of working together and collaboration. And we want the messages to, to be the right angle, the right content, um, so that they work for your subconscious mind. We're finding a way to update the messaging that's going to work for you. And it might be worth noting that it being very interactive and a lot of back and forth is, is our approach, Leanna. That's very much right. how we work. Um, and we want people to talk to us in hypnos hypnotherapists, um, work more from scripts. Mm. not as interactive they get the information that they need and then it's a lot about suggesting just reinforcing and the change that that client wants trying to plant lots of good positive seeds in the subconscious mm -hmm. um, and as a client you may want to experience both or one one approach may just feel more comfortable for you um well, and that makes me think too, um, you can get self-hypnosis, you can get recordings, you can get things um, on the internet by Googling. And that would be the more one-sided approach where these are more general suggestions, like you say, seeds being planted in the subconscious, positive seeds, right. positive expectations that are being delivered to you in a calm state. Um Yes, you're absolutely right. Whereas uh, the work we do is a little bit more interactive, a little bit more exploring and, and individual. Yes, yeah. And spontaneous and dynamic and I would say fun. Yeah, <laughs> because like, let's, let's take that example of the snazzy dresser and the snazzy dresser because they were bullied. Somebody else might be a snazzy dresser um, and not have anything kind of attached or wrapped up in that, but you might also have somebody who's a snazzy dresser because perhaps they didn't have a lot of money when they were younger. And, and this was a way to show now that they have some money and that's important. Well, if I give the suggestions about being bullied <laughs> to the, to right. the person who's driven by, um, more of a, a money outlook and a status outlook, those, those suggestions aren't going to be as effective um, as well. So that's, that's why we also want to understand each individual's experience around the particular issue or goal. So do you think there's any other, I wonder if there's any other aspects of hypnotherapy that would be interesting to touch on? Yeah. What, I, what I like about hypnotherapy is that people seem to get a lot of traction with it. And, and I believe that's because we're dealing with the subconscious mind. So I'm a person too, who, who had experienced anxiety and who had gone to uh, what we would call like talk therapy, either counseling, psychiatrist or psychology. Um, and I got a lot of value from that life-changing value, but I also got a lot of results and traction and, and shifting 
um, with hypnotherapy. And I believe it's because those, those similar things that I explored in talk therapy, um, all that good work that I did, I was able to relay that to the hypnotherapist and have those messages reflected back to my subconscious, which is the part that really needed to hear them. So that's what I love about hypnotherapy and the work that we do is that it's, it's, it's dealing with the part and the events in such a way that it, it really makes some shifts happen um, in a noticeable, in a noticeable way. And I just want to, and I, I may have mentioned it at the beginning, but for me, the rapport is really important mm. um, uh, from, from both sides. And, and I think, but as a client, as someone seeking help, you have a certain amount of responsibility for choosing someone you feel safe with or doing or knowing this person is um, properly credentialed or um, there's, I almost feel like there's an unfair onus because if you're reaching out for help in the first place or trying to deal with trauma and the, there needs to be some, some level of trust that you can find someone and believe their website or believe what they say, take their advice as good advice, um, that it's an intimate personal relationship. And as a client, you have the right to end it, change it, um, see someone else at any time. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, that just feels really important to me. The longer I do this work, the best work has come from journeying together. Yeah. I'm trusted. I'm trusting that the client's being vulnerable with me. And we want the best for our clients and potential clients. Yes. And, and I can confidently say if I'm not the best option for a client, I'm not offended if they go somewhere else. Yes. I want them to have success. Yeah. And it's, it's their life. And I'll go one step further and to say, if you leave a psychologist or a therapist or a hypnotherapist or anyone who is offended, oh, well, yeah, let that be that, let that be some of their work because you don't get a second life to choose someone that you feel more comfortable with or like better. Yeah. It's too, too personal to waste time. I was going to say feeling uncomfortable. You can feel uncomfortable in a vulnerable, I'm doing good work sense, but just not to trust the person that you're working with. Right. I wouldn't want somebody to feel obligated to continue or to see me, um, maybe even they got referred by a friend or something. Yeah. You know, and, but maybe I'm not their cup of tea. Um, So I wouldn't want them to feel obligated because it's not going to, that's where the discomfort I think comes in that you were mentioning. Like, right. um, I wouldn't want them feeling uncomfortable just coming to see me. Right. Right. So um, like I said, when we started, this is a broad, broad topic with a lot of aspects. So if we didn't touch on something that you were hoping we would touch on, please let us know. And um, we'd love to discuss it further. Or if you have any questions about what we discussed, please let us know as well. 
And so you can send all of that to Leanna and Nikki at gmail.com. That's L I A N A A N D N I K I at gmail.com. Thanks for listening in.